This episode is dedicated to the memory of Alexei Leonov. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. I feel uh, Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? When that baby light, there's no doubt about it. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode number 320 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 14. Docking and Alexei Leonov. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This we have ignition. What a liftoff. And liftoff. Roger, ignition. Pitch over. Pitch over. Ten seconds. Roger. Hey, baby. Pitch over is good. Bearing up good, Houston. Roger, you're looking good from down here, Al. Coming up on one minute. Two, one, mark one. Mark one. Still good low and slow, but... Fido says we look good, all sources. 623. Okay. Take the next together. Okay, you are complete, Houston. Roger. Take a look at the target again. 542-931-3. Targeting is still good. Projector looks good. We're at 12,000 feet. Three, two, one. Mark two. Eight is good. H does right on. H is right on. Pinks and X are together. Okay, steering is good. Pinks looks good, Houston. We copy, Al, and your go from down here. Velocity 1,100. Altitude 1,600. 16,000. Right as a drum. Coming up on 22,000 feet, the steerable antenna tracking very well. The steering is still good, Houston, coming up on three minutes. Two, one, mark it. Three minutes. Piece of fire is good. H dot's good. H is good. Things and eggs agree. Saturday, February 6th, 7.53 p.m. Houston time. Six days, four hours, 50 minutes, mission elapsed time. The cratered sphere filled the window, hanging in blackness. Antares was climbing away from the moon on the great elevator ride. But Ed Mitchell felt a sense of weariness that was not just physical exhaustion, but a longing so profound as to be felt in the body. He did not want this moment to end. It wasn't merely the view that was so powerful. It was the idea. He and Shepard had just been down there. They had walked on the moon. Mitchell took a long, last look. He knew he would never return. As Shepard and Mitchell launched nearly flawlessly from the moon, Rusa looked down at the stunning sight of the ascent stage spewing fire as it rose above the gray moon. 
He asked Shepard if he had anything profound or prophetic to say at that historic moment. Stu, you know me better than that, Shepard said. Now Shepard and Mitchell were on their way to rendezvous and dock with Rusa in Kitty Hawk. But there was still a great deal of concern at NASA, especially with the docking probe. The concern, of course, was over the docking mechanism. Last Sunday, the astronauts tried six times before they successfully docked. If the mechanism failed today, their lives would depend on a spacewalk from the LEM to the command module piloted by Rusa. Shortly after entering lunar orbit, the crew of Antares made their first veneer orbit adjustment using the reaction control system thrusters. Antares Houston, there will be a twig burn. It'll come up shortly. That tweak burn will touch up the orbit uh, to get us in the desired 51 by 9. Three and a half, four and a half, that's great, right there. Hold it. Yeah, Houston, tweak's complete. Roger out. As the spacecrafts began their rendezvous, the NASA public address officer began explaining several possible contingencies if the docking probe problem occurred again. The plan is for uh, Rusa to proceed with a normal docking. Uh, if at the uh, time that the probe is uh, inserted into the drogue of the lunar module, uh, we don't get uh, an immediate capture, uh, Rusa will deactivate his stabilization control system on the command module, and uh, the lunar module uh, will thrust to hold the uh, probe firmly into the drogue uh, in the hopes that if the uh, capture latches on the probe are uh, a bit slow in engaging that uh, they will occur at this time. Uh, we would expect that we would get a normal docking based on the uh, data that has been analyzed from the, the previous uh, successful docking following translunar injection. Uh, if, however, we do not get a normal docking, uh, we're prepared uh, with several contingency procedures uh, which range from uh, attempting to energize the pneumatic system that retracts the drogue, or the probe rather, and latching up with the primary docking latches. Uh, if this doesn't work, we would be prepared to instruct the crew in uh, jumpering an electrical connection so that they would put electrical power onto the uh, activate switch uh, control for the uh, probe assembly, hoping to retract it that way. And uh, the, of course the final uh, procedure would be to go uh, extravehicular, an extravehicular transfer. About 30 minutes after the tweak burn, it was time for the Terminal Phase Initiation Burn, or TPI. As the name implies, TPI is the last of the series of maneuvers designed to raise the paracynthian of the ascent stage to slightly higher than that of the command modules. This burn was performed out of communications with Earth on the far side of the moon. This is Apollo Control at 143 hours, 33 minutes, and we're about uh, eight and a half minutes now from reacquiring uh, the uh, LEM and uh, CSM as they uh, come around on the front side of the moon. Uh, the lunar module uh, should have performed the uh, terminal phase initiation maneuver uh, on the back side of the moon. Uh, this maneuver is 
uh, the prime computation for it is done on board. Uh, the figures given from the from the ground are used as a check and a backup to the onboard uh, uh, plan for the maneuver. Uh, it looked as if the burn would uh, would probably have come out to around 85 feet per second and would have been performed at about 143 hours 10 minutes ground elapsed time. When we reacquire in about uh, seven minutes 45 seconds from now. Antares should be on its final approach uh, into the uh, into the uh, CSM on a line of sight approach and uh, uh, nearing the braking gates, uh, beginning to slow down. Uh, the final docking, of course, as on uh, uh, previous missions, uh, will be performed by the uh, CSM by Stu Rusa. Now, this is primarily because of the uh, visibility difficulties that the crew in the lunar module has uh, when the two vehicles uh, close uh, at uh, very close rates. Finally, Antares emerged from behind the moon and reported a good TPI burn. Antares, this is Houston. How do you read, over? Roger, Antares, how'd it go? Well, things just about as nominal as they could be. We had uh, good TPI and uh, mid courses of around uh, 1.9 and 1.1 feet per second. Gonna be total. Give you the exact numbers if you want them, but everything's just about nominal. And Terry's now performed braking maneuvers to close in on Kitty Hawk. Just before station keeping began, Rusa spotted the limb. Those watching TV at home could now see Antares closing in on Kitty Hawk. Okay, Stu, uh, we're getting a good TV signal now. I'll try a little zoom. Uh, I don't know if you can pick him up yet or not. Okay, can you tell us roughly uh, where he is in the monitor and grid coordinates? He's right on the top of uh, B and C on the line in between them, it looks like, Bruce. Okay, we've got him now. Roger, Stu, we've got him uh, at the left-hand edge of our picture, about uh, one-third of the way down from the top, growing bigger every second. Gradually, the distance between the spacecraft decreased until they were station-keeping at 100 feet apart. You've lost a little weight since the last time I saw you. Well, the range at this point is less than a tenth of a mile. The vehicles are closing at about four feet per second. Well, Houston Antares is station keeping at about 100 feet, closing in a little more for the pictures of the service module and command module. Roger, Al. We've got you on television, and it's looking beautiful. The next step was for the astronauts to photograph each spacecraft. First, Shepard and Mitchell would photograph Kitty Hawk as it made a loop, and then Rusa would photograph Antares. During this time, NASA noticed something hanging from the back of Antares. Okay, anytime uh, you're ready, uh, Al. You... Okay, we got you, Stu. Go ahead, turn around. We'll photograph you. Hey, Stu. Okay, I'm going to turn the TV off here. Stu, uh, looking at the uh, ascent stage of the limb, it looks like there's something hanging loose from the bottom of it, a piece of uh, wire or insulation or anything. Can you comment on that? 
Yeah, I saw that. I was going to wait until we got in a little closer. It's probably part of the uh, separation uh, plane there, I'm sure. Yeah, we, we're, we can go on that. turn the TV off here before I blast it into the sun on this pitch around, Bruce. Roger. Okay, Houston. Kittyhawk uh, is doing an extremely smooth loop. We're sitting at uh, 70 feet, watching him go around. He looks very clean. Photography of both spacecraft went well, with no problems seen except, of course, the trailing mylar on the ascent stage. Then, finally, Houston gave the go for docking. Apollo 14, this is Houston, your go for the docking. Roger, we got you. This was the last major concern for the mission. Would the docking probe that caused so much difficulty a week ago during the first docking work now? Or would some more drastic alternative be required to dock the spacecraft? Or would NASA's greatest fear be realized, a spacewalk in lunar orbit to transfer Shepard and Mitchell to the command module? Communication with Houston fell silent for three long minutes. Everyone's relief, the docking probe worked on the very first try. A little later, with Antares docked nose-to-nose again with Kitty Hawk, Shepard knocked on the hatch between the two spaceships. Who's there? replied Rusa. 
the two moonwalkers entered Kitty Hawk, vacuumed moon dust off their boots, and wrenched off their sweat-soaked suits. The astronauts and their valuable rock samples are now safely inside the command module. Tonight, they'll fire out of lunar orbit and head for splashdown in the Pacific Tuesday afternoon. Salutations from the Hawkeye State. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number 320 of the Space Rocket History Podcast entitled Apollo 14, Docking, and Alexei Leonov. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure to bring it to you. If you are looking for old episodes, the first 150 are available on the Archive Podcast. Search for Space Rocket History Archive. It should be available on all podcatchers. I ended this episode early because I wanted to have time to honor the passing of a great space pioneer, Alexei Leonov, the first person to walk in space. He also trained for the Soviet moon missions, and had the Soviets been able to get the N-1 working, he would have gone to the moon. He also flew on the Apollo-Soyuz test project. Now, to honor his legacy, I would like to read his obituary. This comes from CollectSpace.com. Cosmonaut Alexei Leonov, who was the first to walk in space, dies at age 85. Leonov died on Friday, October 11th at the Berdinko Military Hospital in Moscow after a long illness. One of the first cosmonauts of the world space era, forever devoted to his country and his work, he inscribed himself in golden letters in the world history of space, said Roscosmos, Russia's Federal Space Corporation. Selected alongside Yuri Gagarin, among the first 20 Soviet Air Force pilots to train as cosmonauts in 1960, Lyonov flew twice in space, logged a total of 7 days and 32 minutes off the planet, launched on Voskhod 2, the world's 17th human spaceflight. On March 18, 1965, Lyonov made history as the first person to exit his spacecraft for an EVA. The Earth is round, he exclaimed as he caught his first view of the world. Stars were to my left, right, above, and below me. The light of the sun was very intense, and I felt its warmth on the part of my face that was not protected by the filter, said Leonov in a 2015 interview with the Federation Aeronautics International on the 50th anniversary of his spacewalk. What remained etched in my memory was the extraordinary silence, he said. Leonov's historic EVA, however, almost spelled his end. After several minutes outside, his spacesuit ballooned, making it very difficult for him to maneuver. His crewmate, Pavel Belyev, unable to do anything to assist Leonov, 
made the decision to release air from his suit in order to be able to re-enter his capsule. I decided to drop the pressure inside the suit, knowing all the while that I would reach the threshold of nitrogen boiling in my blood, but I had no choice. Yana told the FAI, the world governing body that certifies aviation and space records. Ultimately, Lyonov made it safely back inside after 12 minutes and 9 seconds floating outside his spacecraft. He and Belyaev returned to Earth the next day on March 19, 1965, having shown it was possible for a human to survive working in the vacuum in space. Lyonov's second space flight came a decade later with the liftoff of the Apollo-Soyuz test project, the first mission conducted jointly between the United States and Russia. Launched on July 15, 1975, Leonov and his crewmate Valery Kubishov docked their Soyuz spacecraft two days later to an Apollo spacecraft carrying astronauts Thomas Stafford, Deke Slayton, and Vance Brand. The best part of our joint flight was the occasion when we opened the hatch and I saw the face of Tom Stafford, said Leonov, recalling the Apollo-Soyuz mission on its 35th anniversary in 2010. I said, Hello, Tom. Hello, Deke. And at this moment, we shook hands. The two crews spent almost two days together conducting scientific experiments and taking part in cultural exchanges. The mission served as a precursor to the later shuttle Mir flights and the establishment of the International Space Station. After parting ways with the Americans, Leonov and Kubishov landed safely on July 21, 1975. The touchdown marked the end of Leonov's spaceflight career, having completed 113 orbits of Earth on his two missions. We were saddened to learn of the passing of Russia's cosmonaut Alexei Leonov, said NASA astronaut Jessica Mir, as a spacewalk by two of their crewmates came to its close outside the International Space Station on Friday. Though we mourn his passing, added the space station's commander, Luca Parmitano, with the European Space Agency, it is somewhat fitting that Leonov left us on the day of a spacewalk. His 12-minute excursion outside the Voskhod spacecraft more than a half a century ago began a chapter in human spaceflight that brought us to the moon and which will bring the world to distant ports of exploration in the cosmos in the years ahead. Alexei Arkhipovich Leonov was born on May 30, 1934 in the town of Listivanka near Marisk in Siberia, Russia. A budding artist from the young age, Leonov enrolled at the Academy of Arts in Riga in 1953 before attending the Chungyuev Air Force School in Kharkov, Ukraine, where he graduated in 1957. He was serving as a Soviet Air Force parachute instructor when he was selected for the first cosmonaut class three years later. His first assignment was as backup to Valery Baikorsky on the Vostok 5 mission in 1963. After returning from his 1965 Voskhod 2 mission, Leonov began training for a mission to the moon, first preparing for a circumlunar flight 
a feat accomplished by NASA's Apollo 8 crew in December of 1968, Yanov was one of only three candidates for a Soviet moon landing. Rocket failures, though, ultimately led to the program's cancellation. Leonov was then assigned to command the second mission to launch to Russia's first space station, Salyut-1. One of his two Soyuz-11 crewmates, however, fell ill days before the June 1971 launch, resulting in their backups flying in their place. The Soyuz-11 mission later ended in tragedy, when a depressurization during re-entry led to all three cosmonauts being killed. Following his lead of the Soviet side of the Apollo-Soyuz test project, Leonov headed the cosmonaut team until January 1982, when he resigned to become the deputy director of the Gagarin Cosmonaut Training Center in Star City. Ten years later, he left the space program for a management position at Alpha Bank, one of the largest private commercial banks in Russia. Throughout his career, Leonov continued to pursue his passion for art, flying colored pencils on his space flights and becoming the first to sketch in Earth orbit. His subsequent drawings and paintings have been exhibited worldwide appeared on postage stamps, and were published in several collected volumes of his work. For his service to his nation, Leonov was twice named a hero of the Soviet Union and awarded the Order of Lenin, among many other honors. A founding member of the Association of Space Explorers, Leonov was inducted into the International Space Hall of Fame at the New Mexico Museum of Space History in 1976, and International Air and Space Hall of Fame at the San Diego Air and Space Museum in 2001. Leonov was further honored as the namesake for a crater on the moon and a spaceship in Arthur C. Clarke's 2010 Odyssey 2. In 2017, he was portrayed in the Russian feature film The Age of Pioneers, also known as Spacewalk, which was about his Voskhod 2 mission. In 2004, Leonov co-authored the joint autobiography, Two Sides of the Moon, Our Story of the Cold War Space Race, with Apollo 15 moonwalker David Scott. Leonov was married to Svetlana Pavlovna Dozinko in 1959, and together they had two children, Victoria and Oksana. The earlier preceded him in death in 1996. Okay, folks, the pictures for this week's episode are available on the website spacerockethistory.com. I hope you check that out. We had four new donations this week. I would like to recognize Greg H., who donated at the Soyuz level, Nicholas M. from the UK, who donated at the Mercury level, an increase pledge on Patreon to the Gemini level by Tony Joe. Paul N. increased his pledge on Patreon to the Mercury level. Our Patreon donors are back to 236 with a goal of reaching 300 by the end of the year. Our total donors for 2019 have reached 423 with a goal of reaching 600 in 2019. 
If you are enjoying the content provided here and are financially able, please consider supporting the podcast. To do so, go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com. Click on the orange Donate button to make a one-time donation or the Patreon link to make small monthly donations. All contributors are rewarded in four ways. Contributors' names are added on the donors page at the level they choose to donate, and there are also longevity emojis for multiple years of contributions, and that is explained better on the donors page at spacerockethistory.com. Contributors receive a thank you message from me. Contributors are recognized on the podcast, and contributors are automatically entered in the weekly giveaway. Thank you for supporting the Space Rocket History Podcast. For the 423 of you who have already donated for 2019, I certainly appreciate it. This week, we're giving away the SRH logo magnet to one of our lucky donors. Here's Mrs. SRH with the weekly donor drawing. Thanks, Mike. Hello, everyone. I am happy to announce this week's winner of the SRH logo magnet. With the help of Google's random number generator, I selected Anthony Gifford. Anthony Gifford, if you would email us, mike at spacerockethistory.com, and tell us your address, we will mail this out to you. Thank you to all 423 of you who have contributed thus far in 2019. My sources for this week's episode were Light This Candle by Neil Thompson, Smoke Jumper Moon Pilot by Willie Mosley, A Man on the Moon by Andrew Chaikin, The Internet Archive, CBS News, ABC News, NBC News, The Apollo 14 Surface Journal, NASA, Flickr, and Wikipedia. Okay, folks, that's all we have for this week. I hope to have episode number 321 posted by next Thursday. So long for now.